Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out that they've got great stuff over there and we've got stuff. Let's do some trading. This week we are talking about what kind of trading, what kind of horse trading goes on between the Bureau 13 world and the Fringeworthy world. Uh, new Commonwealth Group. Now, one of the things that I I introduced in one of the adventures that is in the Stocking the Steel City supplement was this was this um, device that basically came from another dimension. It fell through, and it was a local reality uh, generator. And it, what it did was it had some dials. It was like a backpack, you know, or one of those old-fashioned radio sets that you'd see in World War II, the guys carrying yeah. around, basically a big square backpack. And you open yeah. it up, and it had basically a screen, um, and it had uh, a, uh, a like a, a telephone keypad with, like, the three letters for each number and a couple of extra ones. And yeah. you basically typed using that keypad and the instructions you did went up on the screen, and it would alter reality to match the instructions you gave in a in a, 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 a well a, a plot large area. And by plot, I mean the plot of your story. <laughs> Even then, still, from what I'm seeing of this, if you had somebody who knew how to do it. If you didn't have a world that supported magic, you could have it with this. We need something big to take these guys out. Get that generator thing out. Make it where magic works. Fireball, lightning bolt, whatever. Well, but more impo- more importantly, um, you could, for example, you're running up against an elder god on, on Bureau 13 world, and all of a sudden you make that area someplace where the god's powers don't work. Now you just got a great big doofus standing around basically yelling at you. Yeah, I mean, he's still physically strong, but he doesn't have the eldritch. Yes, because you've you've changed reality enough that he doesn't have his powers anymore. So Bureau 13 would only lend this device. He would never give it to the Fringeworthy because, frankly, I never imagined the the Bureau 13 people being able to reproduce this. No, no, that that would be God tech. Yeah, so, but they do have it. As a result of this adventure, they end up having it. Um, and so if uh, it could also be used by the Fringeworthy if they're going to a world in which the laws of physics are, you know, kill, you know they're, they're, they're death for a, uh, for a normal human being or whatever alien race is part of the Fringe team. The point is that if, if, you, if it's like everything, you know, uh, temperatures start at 1,000 degrees and, 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 and life exists there and... and and you can somehow change the rules so that around you it's not a thousand degrees. Okay, you, you 
your team can can operate, can invest, can do whatever it is they need to do there, and be proof against some of these really terrible things, especially like radiation and other things like that. It would be like giving your characters the planar adaptation feat, where you can do things like survive on the elemental plane of fire or water. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's and uh, as as long as this thing operates, um, and I've forgotten how long it actually operates before it resets or runs out of power or whatever, you know, uh, it's you know you're you're golden for that period of time. Uh, just you know, and uh, just make sure when you go back through the bridge portal, you change it because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, uh, you know, you're gonna. It, it can be really messy on the other side. Yeah, <laughs> but um, or as you say, because it's dimensionally it's dimensionally uh, anchored or whatever like that, it might actually uh, uh, cause a feedback thing into the device and cause a really bad thing to happen. But anyways, you know that's not. I I mean the point is not to nerf the object. <laughs> I just say is that when you're dealing with super powerful devices like this, you always got to be careful for that. But it is this is one of the things I thought about saying. This is really really useful because we talk about uh, in the Fringeworthy game that there are these other places where the laws are not the same as the ones we're used to. And you ask the question of how can you survive there? And there are a number of ways of doing it. One is uh, what we refer to as the Playtex effect, where the, the going through the fringe portal grants you a, like a bubble of your reality for like 18 hours. But uh, it still doesn't mean that, you know, you, there's, it still not might not be able to keep, allow you to survive. Uh, the uh, something like this would actually be able to do it. In the cases where it's really so weird on the other side that you really can't live there, you have the uh, the portal, uh, you know, uh, uh, the portal power of of uh, ghost. Yeah, ghost transfer. Yeah, basically you turn ethereal. Well, yeah. there's the ethereal one, but there's also the one where you take you basically take over the mind and body of a native on the other side. Okay, mind transfer, yeah. Yeah, so that's the other way of basically dealing with these kinds of worlds where there's really, you're getting really, really, you're looking at the fringe, you know, uh, pylon, which gives you some information about the other side, and it's blinking like crazy. And you're like, well, let's see if we, you know, conserve, and that's when you start saying, well, we'll try to do this to get on the other side. But if you actually had a, re if there was actually something over there you wanted to bring back, then you'd have to physically go there, which means you'd either have to do the, uh, the mind transfer and and uh, and bring it at least back to the portal, or uh, and uh, or you'd have to do this this thing here to to go and do that. Uh, so yeah, so the local reality generator is could be a really cool thing to have. Uh, it's also really great to use against supernatural beings that have a lot of immunities because all of a sudden they you know the vampire finds out that lead bullets actually do work. Yeah, I would take that as like doing maybe a computer check roll might take a couple rounds and you're trying to hold this thing off and then all of a sudden, oh, you made your roll and it's been three rounds. Okay, now things change and that's where the team just smiles because <laughs> the vampire gets shot and real. Wait a minute, I'm bleeding. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, 
in, in the area of the, of, of the high tech, we also have nanotech. You know, there's um, the, the, the tech services seems to have a lot of nanotech available to it, uh, which allows it to do cool stuff. Uh, it also allows you to miniaturize devices like crazy. So you, so you get all that cool James Bond type devices that really shouldn't be able to operate, but they do because they're so tiny. Uh, there was a um, uh, there was a, a, a two two movies that were called uh, uh, Flint, it was uh, uh, Man and another one I forget what the second one was called, In Like Flint, In Like Flint, right? Okay, and they they tried to hand them off like this, basically the equivalent of the uh, a suitcase, uh, the the briefcase that was in um, uh, this uh, not the Spy Love Me, but uh, from Russia with Love. That had all this stuff inside of it, and he goes and says, "Well, I've got this pen. It has 101 functions, 102 if you include actually being able to write with it, <laughs> <laughs> and he's got his, and he's got his watch that does a couple more things." And he says, "I think I'm pretty good." <laughs> uh, do you remember the um, Antonio Banderas uh, Spy Kids? Yeah, and it was Danny Trejo, you know, Machete, who was the the scientist. Uh huh. All these things with the watch. Can it tell time? That's the one thing we couldn't put in it. <laughs> because it could do all these other things and it would be due to nanotech, yeah. Um, here's my thing about nanotech, the Bureau giving it to the Fringeworthy. Any nanotech-based devices, you wouldn't be able to use them on the Fringe Pass, and you'd have to put them on the charger for 10 minutes before you could use them once you get to a world. Nanotech is robots. They're hard tech not necessarily oh unless you're using techno organic stuff well no you can also just create tiny like tiny devices even steam powered devices are just tiny they, they they've been able to make fans and switches and um a number of other things that are just like a few my a, a few not microns is it, is it microns the millionths of an inch you know, and they've been able to construct actually working devices in the laboratory that uh, operate like, on, let's say, on a puff of air. Uh, so you can make actually mechanical devices that are just absolutely just incredible, you know, incredibly small, and you can make build them up bigger and bigger and bigger until you get something that is very you know is is much more robust now i think i mean there's no reason why bureau 13 would not use electricity in their nanotech because it's like it's easy it's the same reason why you know we use uh, um is the same reason why we use nanotech or a miniaturization you know we we want most of the things we're trying to miniaturize we're trying to miniaturize electronic devices to make them lighter and all these things especially sensors and whatever so you know like a lot of the nanotech are like bugs and uh, uh, and maybe some flying devices for like you know drones or uh, or if you're trying to make material that's super dense and super you know uh, strong by weaving together things at a, at a very you know at, at a very tiny level like say the bucky tubes a moment of pride for me that I was actually to call John on something and we were talking about nanotechnology. And as all of you know, I work in the automotive aftermarket industry 
and I'm in the chemical section. So I have chemicals that are like various lubricants and they say nanotech. And the molecules for the synthetic lubricant is so small that they did this on the microscopic level. Now, John was sitting there saying, no, no, this isn't nanotech. I had to go to the font of all wisdom and knowledge, Wikipedia. And actually those type of products that use microscopic molecules for lubricant, that is considered first generation nanotech. As in, we are applying the principles that will later be used to make microscopic, microscopic robots in order to make these lubricants that are far more effective than, you know, just your normal oils. And I called John on it and just, he was like, oh my God, Trav, you're right. And there was that little part of me, it's like, yes. And that little part like, oh crap, I can't believe it just called out our science guy. <laughs> well, I like to think of myself as this, as the science guy too, you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, we, we all know how John. We do. Yeah, we love him dearly. It's just there were times we had to rein him in because he just, if being a technical writer for 20 plus years, yeah, we had like, John, 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 okay. <laughs> John could very easily, you know, use use anything as a stepping stone to actually get over to his, you know, some little nerdy topic that he was desperately wanting to talk about. That's why I would have him check my science when I came up with something. But it was that one time I called him on it because of the fact... Because of my knowledge of, you know, having to deal with the stuff on my shelves every day and having to pull it. So, yeah, that, nanotech, that is that would count. And you could use that in the, the, the bureau could have things like, oh, no, you got your, your diesel fuel and you got your lubricants for this car. Oh, no, 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 son. Here you go. Here's something for, you know, them parts that don't move. And it could even be that first generation nanotech that just Robertson came up with because you're, it's made with the microscopic synthetic lubricant. Mm -hmm. And so that could even be working. Not not just, you know, robotic, like nano nanofibers, you know, that can, you know, use it to pick a lock or whatever, or, you know, doing fine mechanical work. But even these lubricants that use the first generation nanotech, the fringe where they could do all that because you got you're going to have techs on your team. Usually, especially medium and later campaigns, you're going to be having that one. Oh God. And there's even a, I'm going to have to call it up here real quick. Um, I think like a fringe engineer. Let me look. Yeah. Engineer for IDEC. And so you have these guys who are basically your tech geeks and whatnot. And, Oh, there it was. Okay. And so they're going to want these advanced, nanotech-based lubricants for their various building and maintaining the equipment. So that would come in really handy. Bureau 13 does have some nanotech. It would make that available to the, uh, at least the application of that nanotech to Fringeworthy. Because a lot of times it's not what you have, it's how you used it. Yep. Well, because remember, you even told me that a lot of these fringe teams, because they're out and about, yeah, that's why they make these equipment depots and whatnot and gain ally worlds. Because a lot of times, nine times out of ten, they're on their own. They have what they have with them and they have to make do. Or, you know, beg, borrow, and steal to get the job done. Okay, so, and again, they also have artifacts that drop in from other dimensions and times. And 
you know, just like I just mentioned with the local reality generator and those things, as long as, you know, they could, they could lend them, you know, it depends on whether they are essentially needed, you know, or, you know, whether someone sees like an obvious immediate need for it, um, uh, you know, a jet pack. What, just like various future tech or magical stuff like wall pass badges okay that's in uh incursion which is part of the bureau 13 universe okay if someone there figured out how to make a device that actually would you could put onto a wall or put in a wall and it would make the wall permeable okay to anybody that had one of these badges on then you could go up and put that on the outside of somebody's you know uh uh, you know, complex, hidey hole, evil overlord layer, okay, and go through the go through the wall into the complex, and they couldn't be ch and and they couldn't be chased out because they'd run out and the and the bad guys couldn't follow them because they don't have the little badges. Yeah. So that's a that's a super high tech that, that came out of you know uh, out of incursion, which is part of that universe. Yes. Uh, and so theoretically, uh, from some of these down space, you know, alien uh, UFOs and, and, and such that, that occasionally crash onto uh, places that Bureau 13 gets their hands on, they might have a fair amount of access to these things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and if they were able to figure out how to reproduce them, then this could be some serious trade tech. Yep. Because oh, yeah. if, you know, because it may be that the fridge really don't understand how to make them. So now I was going to move over toward the fringe worry and what the fringe worry is offering back to the bureau. Okay, uh, now the fringe worry has something that I think is highly underutilized, even though it's been in the game since the very beginning, and that's tamellan steel and tamellan plastics. They also tamellan ceramics, but nobody ever uses that. Uh, the only reason I would think to use Tremelon ceramics would be as a high temperature thing. And the players are always like, you know, what can we do with this stuff? And so I said, all right. First of all, um, I said that the, the way you get Tremelon plastic is, is they're produced by the um, Queller. Oh, the giant stick figures. The stick yeah. figures, yeah. They just basically put some kind of gun kind of device on them and it basically comes out of the end like, um, like a hot glue. And they can yeah. make whatever they want to out of it. They can make an infinite amount of uh, tamellan plastic that way. Tamellan steel is basically where you use strong nuclear binding forces to hold atoms together, and it's essentially isn't it? Isn't the tamellan steel one of those two? The plastic or the steel? If it gets to below a certain temperature, it becomes malleable, and you can mold it. No, that's the tamellan putty. I thought it was either the steel or the plastic. No, it's it's the Tamellan putty. It's one of the little objects that's in the artifact stuff for the Tamellan. Uh, so what I did was I said, okay, look, it's Tamellan plastic because it's plastic in the sense it's easily malleable and stuff like that. But when it when it cures, it's hard. So they said, well, what can we do? He says, well, first of all, it's not terribly heavy because it's plastic. So, but it's very tough. So you can make breastplates out of it and things like that, um, and put it on the sides of your vehicle, or even get a car body made out of it, like they used to make, you know, uh, uh, kit cars, and they put fire, use it like fiberglass to make the car. So you could wrap tamellan plastic 
um, all, all the way around your vehicle, and, and it would be like super armored, and it would be terribly heavy. And they were like, "Well, can we? Is there any way we can have it where it's it's something that doesn't become like hard armor?" And I said, "All right, let me think about this for a second. And I said, "All right, so you can't cut to melon plastic because it's too hard, but you can use a laser to basically." sublimate it you basically hit the tomato plastic very hot temperature and it basically will just crackle and snap into a gas It'll basically break apart in that very thin line so you can cut tomato plastic into threads and then you can use those threads and you can weave them together to make tomato body armor that's actually flexible but is almost impossible to break Okay, I did find that stuff I was talking about. It's on page 38 of Roger the D20. It's called Anti-Alloy, a non-conducting metallic solid that, solid that is steel hard at temperatures over 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Under 20 degrees Fahrenheit, it becomes plastic and can be shaped like clay. It has a hardness of 10 and 30 hit points per inch at room temperature. I knew there was something that had to do with malleable at cold temperatures. Yeah, yeah, no, it exists. Yeah, I, I remember it. And that's been there for quite a while, too. Yeah. So, but this is how I was able to give them, you know, basically the equivalent of, you know, cl um, ballistic cloth, but made out of tamellan steel. I mean, tamellan plastic. So that gave them, you know, so they could, they, they basically could no longer take penetration damage from it. You know, all the penetration damage would be turned into uh, bludgeoning damage because it, it, it could not break. But it could be compressed and you know smash into your body and, yeah, and still do yeah. still. I mean, you get hit with like a you know a, a shell from a from a big gun and uh, it's still going to do some terrible stuff to you. You would probably take half damage from something like that. Well, the point was, I mean, literally, you'd you'd have to pull the whole thing through the other side of your body to get that kind of penetration. So yeah. it basically, it, you, you, you'd put a cap on where the penetration you go. You'd say, all right, you can punch through the skin and through the muscle and maybe break bones that are on the outside, like the ribs and things like that, or the skull. But like the inside bones, like the, uh, the legs, the pelvis, and stuff like that, those probably would not be able, it would not compress to the point to do that because the armor that surrounds you, you know, would basically get too rigid. It'd be pulling on itself at that point and wouldn't get in. So I basically gave them superior armor that way. And that was that was a trade good that I had them giving uh, selling to the or trading with Bureau Thirteen because they could do it. It was wasn't even high tech really except for the laser you needed. So yeah. they they had they had basically um, you know small mom and pop shops that basically uh, well I mean you could also do it as a big industry but because uh, you know, they could use this to make like cable you know and and such you know the. the uh, once you get it to the point where it's malleable, where you can bend it because it's now a thread, you can turn it into like cables that hold up, thin little cables that hold up entire suspension bridges um, and other types of really wonderful stuff. And you can make, you know, spider, uh, a, like spider thread uh, things that let you climb up and down buildings and things like oh, that. Okay. So, I mean, it, they can hold tremendous amount. They had tremendous tensile strength is what I'm trying to tell you, okay? So, uh, as, as a result. 
So, uh, or you could go like say full blown and just use the straight plastic, which made it like armor, like you know, like hitting up a, 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 a you know, basically to, instead of it being ballistic cloth, you've got the equivalent of you know, armor on a tank. So yeah. you know, bullets literally would bounce off of you at that point. Uh, anyway, so that was something that they had because they were basically using the spinner steel and plastic. When it came to steel, I usually told them, says you're going to have to just basically take a chunk of steel, spinner steel. Hopefully, you could find a thin, uh, what would be a thin plate, and just like put straps onto it and wear it like the uh, uh, the armor that Clint Eastwood did in that uh, movie where. He, he kept telling the guy, the only way you can kill me is if you shoot me through the heart. And the guy was like an expert shot and kept shooting him and he didn't go down because he had taken the door from the front of a cast iron stove. Yeah, Marty McFly did the same thing in Back to the Future too. Yeah, yeah, using that. Technique. I'd forgotten that, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, so I'm saying that's, that's something uh, that you could do uh, with that. But most of the time, Tamelor and Steel was something that was very hard to work with and and it was more of a curiosity than anything else i mean i guess you could you know you could like if you had a lot of it you could like mortar it together and literally make a wall you know around you know you could use it to, to turn your layer into practically you know go ahead drop that bomb i got some melon steel protecting this so but uh and i never gave them the ability to actually um uh produce it or uh or or you know, um, um, not manufactured, but, you know, work with it. So it's a, all right. So, um, okay. Uh, so anything electronic or computer uh, is something that would be probably very useful to the Bureau because, again, you have a advanced, mature technology. So, you know, we've got how many... Millions and millions of uh, of, of um, uh, transistors on a, a a chip that you just drop inside of a of a tiny computer these days. You know, it, based upon what the bureau has available to them, uh, unless they have those kinds of nanotech um, uh, makers, uh, they're those are going to be pretty much you know experimental devices for them. But the Bureau can hand them, you know, all the computer tech you could ever want. I mean, uh, and, and not only that, but they've also, you know, it's in the future, you know, people still hate each other. There's still, there's electronic warfare going on, hacking's going on. There's better algorithms. There's, you know, there's better software. There's more flexible software, you know, um, learning software, AI. All that would, could come out of the fringe paths. And be something they could sell to um, the Bureau 13 people um, or trade for what what it is that they want, and and like I always said was is that they're never going to give them the best that they have because that's still it's just like just like Bureau 13 that's all that's in the laboratory those are prototypes and things like that they're going to give them the they're going to sell them the production stuff. Where they can make it on a million, you know, where they've got like a, a million plants operating on a dozen worlds making this stuff by the tens of thousands. And they can, and, and we, we've never talked about this, but Bureau 13 occasionally does let stuff get out into the wild of the Bureau 13 world and improve technology. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, they're going to do it. You know, they may have, oh, we have this thing from 100 years ago or 100 years in the future. We'll give them the one that's, you know, from that society, their grandkids had it. It's still 15 years above current technology. We'll give them that. We'll give it to the government. Right. But see, the point is that they'll give it. They won't just keep it for themselves in the bureau. Sometimes they'll like some of these new materials that they're that they get from the fringeworthy, some of the new technologies, some of the new algorithms, you know, they might actually give that to the government because the bureau is just is a small organization that's primarily oriented towards policing the supernatural. It can't it can't provide protection against all threats, common, you know, domestic and foreign. So they may give some of this technology and some of these materials out, as they say, into the wild, out to the government, out to some research uh, universities and things like that, and let them go with it, you know, if they think that it won't be tremendously abused, you know. Uh, so that, that does happen. And just like, you know, when they bring tech back from the French past, the, you know, the government, the, the, the IDA sometimes has to decide whether they want to let this technology loose on the world or not. And, some, and, and there's a lot of arguments over the years amongst fringeworthy players and GMs as to whether IDET keeps any of this technology hidden and only for IDET or does everything that come back get put out on the open market and whoever can develop it first wins. You know, a, a, a real, um, you know, Darwinian technological uh, hegemony kind of thing. I would see it. I would see it if they just realize that it's too dangerous for untrained hands, i.e., non-fringe tech knowledgeable people. They'll just keep it at Hatsumi and just like, yeah, it's here. It's in our hands. For the safety of this planet, we cannot let this out. They would probably their their technological R and D departments would probably be all like, okay, after we run this through the paces, does it meet the criteria for being integrated into civilian tech, military tech? If so, then fine. Then we talk among the constituents in the UN, put it in committee, and then we'll disperse it to the various member nations. All the drone tech that we have going on right now, okay, that would be revolutionary, you know, in the hands of, of uh, the Bureau 13 agents. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, the fact that they, you know, they've got these high-res cameras and that they can hang up in the air depending upon, you know, how they're, how they're devised. And if you can use the same technology, by, by the way, to... Um, that they use to keep the, the the bar the bars everything always has bars kind of thing and you can use that to transmit energy then you could literally have devices that can hang in the air forever yeah so there's that too the one thing that i think that they're going to have the hardest time passing off because they are in fact you know so valuable are the dock boxes yeah I mean, as as the Fringeworthy become have more and more teams, they're going to want more. They're going to want any dock boxes they have to go to the teams or to go to Earth, because Earth is always looking for you know the kind of medical um, aid that a dock box can provide. I mean, those things could cure cancer. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there's always going to be somebody out there who wants that dock box and doesn't want the fringe worthy. Those those very valuable, but still they're not as important as me and my child. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I can see where they might make one available to Bureau Thirteen, so that if you could get an agent and his body parts back to you know uh, Banger, Maine, they might be able to reassemble them. Yeah. But I don't see them having a lot of these. You know, except maybe two, one for use and one for research. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, um, and again, this was something that was also in um, Nick Pallotta's books, is um, energy weapons. You don't see a whole lot of energy weapons listed in, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't think you see any listed in the Bureau 13 game. At least not in in all the editions up to up to and including 1992. I added the uh, super powerful uh, weather maker in my uh, in, in in the 92 the 96. Uh, it was in stocking the Steel City. Okay. Where basically you had a strip of the device that basically was made by a, a bunch of very disparate people. It essentially was a mass driver, and it would take tungsten needles and accelerate them nearly to light speed in a stream against an object. And the overall effect looked like a, uh, a, a, a basically a flash of lightning, and of course it basically destroyed all the air in, in the direction, and so there would be a clap of, of, of air coming in and it's passing. So it was called the weather maker because it basically did like the equivalent of a thunder lightning thunderclap. Okay. Uh, but it used so much power that essentially the um, the projection tube that was used uh, to accelerate the tungsten needles were became white hot. You couldn't use it. You had to basically drop it on the ground and put another one in and then go and fire again. And the and the power pack only had enough power for like two shots and then you had to replace the power pack with another power pack and it took like a half hour to charge the power pack up from normal house current. Okay. And I just wanted there to be like a super powerful device that could be used either as a needle beam that could reach orbit because it was it basically it produced a million points of damage. Of penetration damage. So okay. If you, so basically anything... Anything, unless it, unless it was like, you know, made out of neutronium, you know, would basically just just punch right through them and keep on going. Okay, it was, you know, the, the needle beam was really devised more for hitting, you know, objects in orbit like, you know, enemy air, uh, spacecraft and things like that. Uh, but it also had a more of a fan thing, which would deliver the same million points over, you know, like a uh, 40 square foot area or an even... Uh, like a 16 by 16 square foot area. So you could use it to blow a hole in a wall or you could use it to, um, you know, to, uh, you know, rip the, 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 the uh, rip the legs off of a robot or, or the, the front of a car or, you know, or even disintegrate a car. I mean, it was, you know, especially one that was really, really tough. It was, it was designed for that purpose. It was, you know, kind of, kind of a, you know, really, really hard hitting, and now get your regular weapons and do your mop up kind of device. Uh, anyways, that was uh, there aren't too many 
weapons like that. But if you look in FTL 2448, which is a world that's on the fringe pass, and if you look in Incursion, he basically he cribbed all the weapons from FTL in Incursion. Uh, and even back in the early days of Fringeworthy, they had the GE Burner, which was a, uh, a laser rifle. In the 1992 edition, I think he added the uh, burning weapons, laser weapons, to the yeah, Fringeworthy game. Some, yeah. yeah, and in and I say in the Nick Pilotti, uh novels, at one point they had a pair of laser pistols. It was in the Full Moonster novel. He basically, as as a backup, it was like break. You know, in worst case scenario, open this open this uh, this this compartment and inside was their toughest weapons and they'd pull out you know the wand that did disintegration and and the laser pistols and so i'm just saying energy weapons is something that fringeworthy can give to bureau 13 because they don't seem to have a whole lot of them yeah they they also don't seem to have the kind of nanotech that 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 the fringe really have, like you said, because they've had a lot of worlds out. There are not too many worlds that are super advanced over the uh, over IDET, uh, based upon what is listed. I personally put a really high tech world out there uh, because I wanted them to run into people that were more high tech than themselves, who basically stood there and looked at them and said, "Yeah, we're going to give you stuff, but we're going to be real careful about what we give you because you people are crazy people. You know, you you made all the decisions." That we that we did not make, <laughs> and we did, and we made ours for good reasons. So we're not sure we can trust you. So we're going to give you nuclear fusion, but we're not going to tell you how it's done. We're going to give you a black box that's basically a nuclear fusion plant, or we're going to you know we're going to give you nanotech, but it's it's going to be a, a maker box that makes certain nanotech, but we're not going to tell you how to make the maker boxes, and so forth like that. Yeah, we're going to give you these artifacts that just, yeah. Well, they're not artifacts. They're actually manufactured products. So, but see, the fringe were like, well, okay, we can't make these things, but we have a good supply of them. They have an ongoing supply of them. We can take some of these things and trade them with the fringe, uh, with the beer 13 people. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, they're, they're no worse, you know, they're no worse off using them than we would be. You know, and uh, and there's a as I say, there's a goodly supply, so why not share the wealth? So I can see them using nanotech uh, to do that. Okay. Um, likewise, supertech artifacts that have been salvaged by fringeworthy teams is the same thing that we did with Bureau 13, where Bureau 13 has some artifacts that fallen through alternate universes and whatever, and they had them. And they weren't really useful as far as their their uh, ongoing missions were concerned, but they still were kind of cool. And you know, maybe, uh, maybe you know, the the fringe where he could use them better, and so they yeah. would trade back and forth on those things. Okay, as you said, Trav, probably the biggest uh, uh, one of the things that the Bureau Thirteen, even though they're giving fringeworthy information about magic and, and such they're giving the the, the, uh, the the magic they know now we we know that all stories are true which means that there are multiple different kinds of magic in operation on uh, the Bureau 13 world so there it's a very rich source of magical information but it doesn't mean it's the it's it, it's inclusive it doesn't mean there isn't anything else that could have happened somewhere else yes so uh, 
So there are books and artifacts from magical worlds that the Bureau of 13 people would be very interested in getting their hands on. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's sometimes it's like, we'll trade you this information, yes, and we'll trade you this. And they're like, oh, what's this? And he says, well, these are Stella. These are, uh, this is a thing that was made on this one world where they had everyday magic. And the reason the magic never got above a certain level is because they had these devices that they call Stellas, and it basically capped the magic and kept the magic stable at a certain level and never above a certain level. This could be something you could use to contain some of your more powerful uh, ma magical entities. Just an area that's magically unstable. It might be you might be able to use it for that. So they're like, oh, this is really great. Maybe we could figure out a spell that does that too, and we could give that to some of our mages. Yeah, yeah, just. Oh no, we know that the Fringeworthy, if they happen upon something that they know full well is magic, they're going to want to drop it right off with Colonel Talbot and say, yeah, hand this over to Professor Robertson. Magical and psionic R&D. Psionic was Geller Magnus. Project Magnus. That's the Bureau's R&D division, from what I remember. All right, all right. But... You know, it's also possible that the fringe room, because they go to all these different alternate Earths, might run into a magic of a type that Bureau 13 has never seen before. And they, and, the, and of course, IDET's not going to understand it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're they're more toward the tech. So the first people they're going to want to say, here, take this stuff, tell us what it does or how it works, you know, or does it use, follow the same rules that your magic does? And if it doesn't, you know, maybe you, maybe we can both learn something. And uh, so that would be, you know, you know, something that would be really, you know, valuable to, uh, uh, because, you know, one of the things I thought about was, is that, you know, because Bureau 13 is a very magical world and they've got things like, you know, uh, healing magic and other things like that, I always thought that there might be like a triage center up on their platform that if you could get to it, they could heal you right up. Broken bones, no problem. You know, someone like blew the top of your buddy's head off. He says, as long as you kept that blood pumping to his heart, you know, and uh, put a pressure patch on top of his skull, we can regenerate that using magic. You know, a lot of it. But I always thought that that was something they could provide that would be even more than a doc box could do. Because the dock boxes don't bring back the dead, to the best of my knowledge. Oh, no, I thought that they did, but they have to... Well, no, the, oh, that's right. That's the auto docks that do that. Yes, I think what the... But what they can do is they can resuscitate somebody who is frozen. Yeah. That's that's a little different. That We talked about that also, is, is that, you know, one of the things... One of the weirdest things you have that Bureau 13 has to trade is people. If you freeze them... And, you know, below 200 degrees, because we know that the uh, the fringe system doesn't know, doesn't recognize the Meller at that point, because it doesn't yeah. consider them alive at that point. It also wouldn't consider non-fringe-worthy to be alive at that point. Right. You send them through to some world, use a dock box to thaw them out, you now have a mage on another world, or whatever it is that you just took through. And uh, there might be some critters... There might be some critters that, that Bureau 13 wants to get off of their universe. Yeah. And, 
you could have a basically a prison transport there and, and thaw them out on the other end and set them free on some world that has no living things on it, just has rocks. Yeah, and, you don't want to be going around screwing up somebody else's ecosystem by adding this thing there. God, right. No. No, but I mean, there are worlds in which you know they're that they literally they were talking about using them to grow as as vast bi uh, biological uh, uh, experimentation places because literally there's no life there, and yeah. so it's sterile. The entire world is sterile. Well, you know, if you had somebody who's pretty much you know the ultimate evil bad guy, uh, you could take that person through, freeze them, take them through, thaw them out on the other side. They're stuck. They're not yeah. going anywhere, and uh, assuming that they can't get off the world, you know, you know, like you know, fly or teleport or whatever. Lock it down, and yeah, lock it down forever, and just put a big sign saying "Ultimate Evil" on the other side of this portal. Do not reactivate this portal. <laughs> so, you know, what your players would just if they saw that, they'd say, "Oh, we got to check this out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, anyways. One of the things that you know, we know that in our own world that we're really big on is trying to come up with better power supplies, either through like molten salts or through some kind of advanced um, uh, capacitors that can hold like a million times as much you know, energy as a normal capacitor can. I mean, we're, we go back and forth. You know, John basically is like, you know, the, the biggest problem with the... Uh, uh, the capacitor batteries that were used in the lasers in FTL was the fact is that if they're if any if they ever got ruptured they would blow up like a nuke. <laughs> oh. And I I always said well if they were really like capacitors and they were designed that they were ruptured they that the two sides would collapse together they'd get really hot and they would burn but they wouldn't explode. So we had some discussions about that. But okay. the point still is, is that there are advanced power supplies that the Fringeworthy will, would have developed over their 20 years that, you know, like lithium batteries. You know, they didn't exist, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they're going to come out and, and there's other, I'm sure there's other forms of batteries, you know, uh, that I, I invent, I was talking about those nanotech devices that were like motors and stuff. I basically uh, had these little turbines that operate off of pure alcohol, and they basically produce tur they're little turbines. They produce electricity. They're they're basically in a in a little square block of plastic, and you just keep adding alcohol to it. And these things just basically produce a tremendous amount of energy for their size, and you know they'll they'll run, and they'll run basically forever as long as you just keep feeding them uh, alcohol. Now, I, I've never quite, I usually don't bother to work out the actual amount of power that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. There is a certain um, energy density to alcohol, which you probably are not going to, but these are very, very efficient. So, and I use turbines because turbines are very efficient compared to, let's say, the internal combustion engine. Yeah. So anyways, uh, but the point was that it was more than enough to run even the most powerful computer for a week. Basically, is the way I said one of these Ooh. one of these little battery packs. You slide it in, and your computer's running for a week now. You know, so and they're all very very super efficient, so they don't produce a ton of heat that's wasted and everything else. So that's uh, that's one of the things that we that's one of the reasons that the Bureau Thirteen equipment is so long lasting as far as power is concerned. Nobody ever says, "Oh, I'm out," you know, "I'm out of power. I can't," you know, "I can't use my equipment." It almost never happens. Okay. 
because uh, I, I basically said this tech came from the Fringeworthy. And I let the Fringeworthy have it too because almost never does anybody run out of power on you know on unless they're using a lot of it like powering up a laser or sending some kind of major you know a, a thousand watt was a ten thousand watt clear channel on some planet somewhere yeah that's going to take a little bit more power you know or put putting a you know all those lights on a house like they did in uh, uh, American Lampoon Christmas yeah I said Christmas vacation yeah. I mean, you know the amount of power those big bulbs. Oh yeah, because he was using the old-fashioned light bulbs; they were yeah. incandescent. Uh. I mean, that must have been. I don't. I mean, it's a good thing the guy was rich, and you know, <laughs> until he found out he didn't, he wasn't getting his bonus. Yeah, yeah. Because that was a ton of electricity. Oh, yeah. I I have relatives who um, decided to light up all the trees. They're they're, they're farmers. And so they had this big long road that goes up to the farmhouse. They decided to light up all the trees, uh, going all the way up to their farmhouse. And he said they literally just stood there and looked at their uh, uh, meter, just the meter whirring. <laughs> yeah, not not the the lower one that that's you know that basically slowly moves. No, yeah. the upper one that was also moving really fast. And they said we we you know it was nice to do one year, but we decided after that that uh, and even had. Halfway through that, they decide only to do it when they knew people were coming. Right, exactly. It was really obvious to them how much money they were spending. It was unbelievable. So, all right. And the last thing I have here is uh, kind of trivial, but you know, I'll bet the, I bet the Bureau 13 people would really like it. Oh, and it's the, yes. it's the Tamellar hair color changer. Yeah, the comb that cleans and also will dye your hair any color yes right so here you know here you go run into a somebody's chasing you you run to a bathroom take the comb run through your hair blonde is now black or, or brunette you know redhead whatever it is you know quick clothing change you know and they don't know who you are you know change your beard from black to red i would say probably that would give anywhere from a plus two to a plus five disguise bonus yeah i mean it's a little thing and frankly i've never seen anybody in fringeworthy ever use it so it seems like the perfect thing to hand off to the bureau 13 people oh yeah and you know that they probably found those just by excuse me the 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 box load just well mostly they found them in i'm sure they found them in tamellor and holmes well, yeah, and after a while, they, they just collected them and realizing what they were, they probably got boxes of them, and yeah, they'd probably give them to the, like, here, give one to each team. Yeah. Right, or, yeah, and, and I'm saying you could give them to the Bureau 13 people. Use it as, I could see them putting them on eBay to sell because they're not that, not that valuable. But um, it's one of the few times when you could actually try to pull off twins. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. just by changing your hair color... They they say we well, can't be the same person. Look, he's a brunette, and the other guy was a redhead. <laughs> I've been told that if you only that the red hair gene, if you only have one set, your hair can be brown and your beard can be red. I have a buddy of mine, a coworker of mine, who now the hair kind of looks auburn, and I bust his chops at you're a ginger. No, I'm not a ginger, dude. You have a red beard and auburn hair. You're a ginger. And it would almost look brown, but I can detect the hints of the Auburn there. So, yeah, he's probably got that. I can talk about him because he doesn't listen to podcasts. But anyways, 
Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But if you have two two uh, sets, two pairs of those genes, then you're actually going to be redheaded and red beard. Yeah. So I just I just learned that you know, okay. uh, off, off of Reddit. In the little Reddit says things I learned today. <laughs> so, because uh, you know redheads are always this you know an exotic group. Yeah. Anyway, so that's basically just some of the stuff, you know, that they could be trading back and forth between them. Knowledge is, of course, going to be the most important thing that they oh, trade yeah. between each other. But I'm sure there'll be lots of artifacts. And, um, uh, I, you know, I mean, uh, and obviously there's going to be the, the, the fun stuff that, that people from other alternate Earths would trade between each other, you know. The, uh, the, the 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 copies of movies that you know starred different people you yeah know, the the person who died but on this world they lived and they cut three more albums um, oh yeah yeah and and things like that you know uh, uh, where they the the band didn't break up you know or this painter became famous while this other painter didn't oh no I could see all of that where it's like is that Elvis doing Queen music? Yeah, he took over. You know, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, also if you just all you have to do as a player, you know, as a GM, is just to go and read any of these stories where they said, "Well, they first offered the role to so and so, but he turned it down." And so I got I got the perfect example. You know who was originally supposed to play Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Who? Tom Selleck. But he was doing a little show called Magnum P.I., so he couldn't do it. The role went to Harrison Ford. The rest is history. Right. And he basically, except for the supernatural part, he in Quigley Down Under, he was the, the same kind of cowboyish type character. Ah, uh, yes, with the wonderful line, is everybody down here as butt ugly, butt ugly as you three? Yep, I remember that. <laughs> that wasn't the line I remembered. My, the line I remembered was, I don't have any use for a gun. <laughs> and then he shoots the guy, and the guy looks at him like, what? And he says, I didn't say I didn't know how to use one. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the big reveal at the end of the movie. Sorry, spoilers, everybody. Yeah, never mind. This movie's been out for 30 years, yeah. yeah at uh, least, yeah. Oh. Besides, the, you know, the Bureau 13, the Fringeworthy, you know, if you don't play either of those games, I hope we've given you some idea of, like, what you can trade between two disparate high-tech you know, kind of um, uh, cultures. Well, cultures, yeah. Where you, you know, one is one is investigatory, uh, spyish, while the, the other, other one's other was exploring. Yeah. So uh, and it and it's you know just just as if like you had like you know MI six trading gear with uh, the uh, the Adventurers Club. Yeah. You know, you know, advanced climbing gear and stuff like that, and and uh, or maybe even people who do the submersibles. You know, I mean, uh, James Cameron goes to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. You know, uh, in, in a submersible he did not make, he bought. Yeah. You know, it, but the point was, is that some, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, you know, it wasn't the CIA that was making submersibles. Okay. Yeah. So if there was something down there, then there would be some trading back and forth. So, you know, this is, 
if you have other worlds, alien worlds that come in contact with uh, with Earth, or if you just have groups that are disparate like this, there's lots of opportunity for people to trade unusual items between themselves and find, you know, find things that like make good trade. Also, please also please refer to our triangle trading episode about hardwire innerland. That's more ideas on on trading between cultures. Exactly. Because yep. you know, there we have truly different cultures, yeah. all trying to all trying to come up with something that they can trade to somebody else. Because otherwise, they don't have that cool stuff that the other people have. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to us for you know uh, uh, two sessions, and we are going to have something fun to do the, on the next time. But you're going to have to wait for it. So. Until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.